We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. down our favorite matchups from fantasy wild card weekend that's what we're talking about today on stealing bananas brought to you by WinBet. i'm ben gretchen from my newsletter at ben gretchen on with me as always is sean siegel final fist great work over at rotavis sean great weekend in store we have our first saturday games uh, the college football season has ended three games on saturday uh, as a result we've mixed up our podcasting schedule a little bit we often release this pod on Saturday. We are recording Thursday for early Friday release. So we won't be able to recap Thursday night football as that has not happened yet as you and I sit here and are talking. But we have first weekend of the fantasy playoffs called the fantasy wildcard weekend. I don't know if that's what I would call it, but we got a lot of great matchups through all the buys. Finally, we still had a bunch of buys last week. Everyone who has advanced and who has made it, this is the three weeks that we've been talking about. You know, we don't really know what's going to define the season. Well, we, I mean, now we're going to find out what defines the season over these next three weeks. And weather is going to play a pretty big factor this weekend. Maybe not a massive factor, but it is something right off the top that I do want to mention. There are at least cold games in a lot of different places. Green Bay Monday night is supposed to be very, very cold. Philadelphia at Chicago is supposed to be a pretty cold game. Miami and Buffalo sounds like there might be that lake effect thing going on. Um, cold game in, in, in Cleveland, a cold game in Washington. We'll talk, I guess, probably a little through that as well, Sean, as we go through some of these games, how we are considering the weather because it becomes pretty important this time of the year. But uh, how you doing? Good, good. I love the idea of fantasy wildcard weekend. That so sounds so much more fun than saying the quarterfinals so many cool formats you can do as well. Thinking on to the reality playoffs, Colin Kelly and I just recorded an underdog gauntlet draft. And that's as much a kind of strategic or tactical battle as it is a, a player picking exercise. And so if that part appeals to you, make sure you jump over there. One of the things that we can start looking at here too, as reality football fans, is just how much these games matter for the playoff race. By the time that this pod releases, the 49er Seahawks game will have been played and but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. If the Seahawks win, they have about an 82% chance to make the playoffs. If they lose about a 41% chance, huge leverage game for them. Obviously they're hoping to get things going a little bit again and benefit from 
the quarterback situation there with the 49ers because other than that, the 49ers look like a true Super Bowl contender. And obviously Brock Purdy did his part last week. You know, no weaknesses that he brought to the table in that game. We'll see if he can keep it up. But we have a lot of games on Saturday, as you mentioned, a lot of games on Sunday that are going to determine matchups for listeners. And we don't necessarily do a ton of listener questions. We kind of hope that we're covering a variety of things that will help throughout the course of the year. But every once in a while, we'll get a question from somebody who has been a longtime listener or subscriber. And it is very interesting and kind of lends itself to these discussions that we're having anyway. And this is going to be our win bet segment of the week. We're going to jump right into some lineup discussions and the games that those players are involved in, how we kind of see them playing out. Yeah, so this comes from somebody who has been a, a Steel Bananas listener, Steel Signal subscriber, Rotovis subscriber. They mentioned they are in a 25-year running home league, and, and I always have a soft spot for people who have been playing for a really long time as well. It's a standard scoring league, not going to be perfectly applicable to everybody across the board, but has a lot of players in here that are players that we talk about a lot, frankly, Sean. Um, and he has some tough decisions. He said he needed two running backs, two receivers, and a flex this week. He's got Saquon Barkley, Isaiah Pacheco, J.K. Dobbins, and Jarek McKinnon at running back. So two Chiefs backs, both Pacheco and McKinnon, Barkley and Dobbins, who are two really interesting running backs that we obviously talk a lot about. Sean Barkley not looking so great lately. Didn't play a lot last week because of the health stuff. Dobbins gets back on the field and, and puts up big numbers, but also maybe didn't look great. And then at receiver, he has both Chase and Jefferson, Waddle and Traylon Burks. And he said, goes on to say he's obviously starting Chase and Jefferson in the two wide receiver spots. So it's kind of boiling down to who are the two running backs they should start. And then kind of leaving out Burks in his thought process, would he be interested in, in starting Waddle? Because for most of the year, he has been playing three receivers, even though it's standard. He's been playing Chase, Jefferson, Waddle plus like Saquon and whatever his RB2 was is, is what he was mentioning. Now that he has a little bit more running back depth, it looks like doesn't make sense to bench Waddle on the road in Buffalo, uh, given the way that Waddle has played lately. And that's another guy that obviously we talk a lot about. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question. I had a tough time sort of immediately thinking about what to do with it. I asked him if we could kind of pop it on the on the show because I wanted to ch to chat with you about it, and we were probably going to talk about a lot of these players anyway. Standard scoring again is going to be different, I think, at this point of the year. And when you have this type of roster, you would prefer to be flexing a running back in standard. You're going to have more paths to yardage certainty. You're also going to have more paths to touchdowns. Touchdowns are just so much more important than standard overall. Running backs do tend to score more touchdowns. Just by virtue of there being a lot more running in close to the goal line. Waddle, when he has the games where he tends to disappear a little bit, you don't even get the PPR benefit, might only have like 20 yards, you know, and that, that can be pretty problematic. A running back is typically, you know, who gets enough carries is going to get 20 yards, going to get 40, 50 yards. Five points matters in, in standard scoring. It's a little bit of a different question than we typically get, but I just thought it'd be fun to talk through these specific players. And... I didn't know what to do right away when I saw Sean as my gut feeling because we talk about that sort of lake effect snow thing going on in Buffalo. This is one of those questions where like we know snow is not a major element necessarily. Like it's not an immediate we run away from that thing like really heavy wind 
it is something that that dramatically impacts passing, but snow is actually a little bit more palatable for passing statistics. And yet when it's this close, I think to start to hear about this lake effect thing that we've heard for some games that in, in Buffalo in the past couple of years, in Cleveland and Chicago, and they turned into some really, really snowy games. I'd watch that up until kickoff, you know, closer to kickoff. But if it sounds like we might be in for a game like that, it's enough to certainly push me away from Waddle probably was, was sort of my first thought here. Yeah, I to try and get myself recalibrated for standard, and I think that this also you know works to an extent for half PPR, which a lot of listeners are going to be playing as well. I was surprised to see that the game level similarity projections, which are looking at the players and looking at the most recent games, the stretch of games that is most predictive for the current matchups, and then it's taking historically similar players and historically similar defenses and giving you a range of outcomes there. I was surprised to see that Waddle actually does project very nicely compared to these running backs because my first instinct was I, I just I want to play a running back if it's standard and especially because these are pretty good options my other instinct was I want to play Saquon Barkley because I think they've been saving him for this game and I don't think you want to go down in the playoffs with a star on the bench but the tricky part is that there are a lot of pieces here that don't necessarily keep pushing in that direction right so the GLSP actually likes Pacheco a little bit better than Barkley. And when you think about how uncomfortable a decision that is, and then you look at the last month, Barkley has averaged eight and a half points a game in standard, while Pacheco has been a little bit over 11. And then obviously with this Houston Texans matchup for the Chiefs versus a difficult commanders matchup for the Giants, it kind of pushes you even more in that direction where you can understand why GLSP would be up on pacheco over barkley so a lot of the circumstantial or contextual pieces here they make this an even more unique and challenging decision before we get even deeper into that ben for WinBet here what are we getting what are they uh, going to provide our listeners yeah that's right sign up today receive a special sports offer bet 100 win $100 download the WinBet app now or visit wy and and bet.com to start winning and yeah i think you laid that out really well it's tricky with barkley you mentioned that this might be a game that they kind of saved him for they're facing washington again for the second time in three weeks they are currently tied with washington at seven five and one they obviously tied the last time they played so assuming they don't tie again which they both seemed way too comfortable with last time the winner of this will have the head-to-head -head then, right? Because you'll have a one win and one tie versus one tie and one loss. I mean, that very well might be the final playoff spot there. One of these teams is going to fall to seven, six and one. You mentioned Seattle's Thursday night game being a big part of this. They're also at seven and six. You also have Detroit creeping up now, six and seven. We've been talking about them for a while. They started one and six. They've gone six and five and one since. So now they're six and seven. So exciting to see them in the discussion. I'm pulling for them. Like, well, I think one of Seattle or Detroit is going to get to a point where it's going to be tough for both Washington and the Giants to make it. I mean, it's going to be tough for – that would mean the whole NFC East would make the playoffs. That's just difficult to do. A lot of games amongst each other the rest of the way. So, yeah, I mean, the Giants have a lot of prerogative here to, to try to beat Washington. This is the, the game for them. They go on to play at Minnesota the following week. They get the Colts at home after that. And you can maybe beat Minnesota in Minnesota. You can maybe lose to the Colts at home, but you kind of feel like those are maybe splits. You're at Philadelphia in week 18, 
hoping they're kind of benching their guys probably they there. But this one against Washington is four games remaining, the one that gets you to three and one the rest of the way, or at least two and two if those other, you know, two of those other games fall. And you gotta go two and two. According to the 538 simulator, this is an 86-26 for the Giants, win or lose, in terms of make the playoffs. There you this go. is a massive, massive game. If they win, they'll be 86% in. If they lose, they'll be 26%. In. So it's it's their whole season. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. And especially in standard. Barkley, we've talked about being a tough start in PPR because he hasn't been getting the high-value touches necessarily. He hasn't been catching passes the way we would love him to. But I think... Again, PPR, we actually just talked about it's going to be kind of a cold game in Washington, but not like dramatically so. But maybe both these teams that like to run the ball a little more run heavy, a little more we want to impose our will. I mean, this could be a big Saquon Barkley game. I want to play him. I think for me, he becomes an in uh, in this discussion. The, the other, you mentioned Pacheco. You did not mention Dobbins. Is Dobbins somebody that, we now know Lamar Jackson's out. We know Tyler Huntley has cleared the concussion protocol and is not even on the injury injury report. And so Tyler Huntley will be in at quarterback for Baltimore at Cleveland. It's a pretty big sort of must-win game for them too. I don't know if you have uh, their percentages pulled up, but they're in a well. They're they're at nine and four, so they're they're a couple games up on the final playoff spot, but they're in a, a battle to win their division still, tied for the top with Cincinnati I mean I, I feel like they're they're gonna be pushing and they, and they brought Dobbins back and played him substantially last week problem is I mean again he's another one that's better in in standard because he didn't catch a whole lot of passes but the problem really is with Dobbins you feel like you got to get the rushing efficiency you got to get some touchdown equity it's probably there I don't know how you know how much faith I have in that although Cleveland is a good matchup for him it is and you mentioned the ramifications for the Ravens. I've kind of in my head with how well the Bengals have been playing recently, have just kind of put them into that third spot and assume that they win and that they're the big threat to the Chiefs and the Bills in the playoffs. The models don't necessarily agree, and, and they're going to be things that they don't know. But, I mean, this is a game where Baltimore wins. They're 77% to win the division and push the Bengals to a wild card. Now, if you don't have the buy, then there are lesser ramifications. But obviously, you've got hosting a first-round game, all of those types of deals. They lose, it drops down to 49%. An important game for both teams, an important game here for the Ravens, and a game they've kind of been setting up for, and that they're going to try and win with a quarterback who you know, maybe has a few health concerns and hasn't played as well yet this year as he did in their kind of fun run last year, even though they lost those games he moved the ball. He and Mark Andrews were, you know, fantasy playoff gold. We're not yet seeing that. And so this could center around Dobbins quite a bit, right? The Cleveland run D is tied for the third worst in terms of allowing yards after contact per attempt. They're the worst in the NFL in boom percentage at 14%. They're the seventh worst in positive play percentage. And so this game sets up very nicely for Dobbins to be able to make some of those moves. I, I thought last week he looked surprisingly good in terms of cutting, <laughs> surprisingly bad in terms of running in a straight line. So maybe he doesn't break the long runs that you need. I mean, you think about this game, and, and Dobbins is just so limited right now, both with the offense and with how they kind of use him, that it is a, a situation where you need a touchdown. And yet how this game plays out, 
I, I guess I like those chances quite a bit. One of the things here on the other side is that this is a very difficult matchup for the Browns run offense. And so they may need to play through Deshaun Watson, who has looked bad to this point. The strength of schedule streamer has Baltimore as the third toughest rush matchup. They're on the other side of that equation I just talked about, where they're tied for the second best in terms of allowing yards after contact per attempt, just 2.2. And you think about Nick Chubb, how does he dominate when he's number four in the NFL in yards after contact per attempt at 3.4? I mean, Chubb after contact is a bunch of basically Najee Harris just overall. But the Ravens are not a defense that has necessarily allowed that. I talked about the boom percentage for the Cleveland run defense up there at 14.7%. For the Ravens, that's down at 4.7. So for those Nick Chubb long runs that we normally get, it's not that he can't do it. I mean, you don't suddenly sell the chance of a superstar making plays just because they're facing a good opponent, but it does make it more difficult. And as I think about the game, and it kind of works me back around to what will the Ravens be able to do? Are they going to be forced away from Dobbins and have to pass to catch up? I mean, obviously, you kind of look at the Ravens as the better team here, but the quarterback situation just makes it such a, a wild card. And yet, I guess I think this is going to be a close, low-scoring affair where Dobbins can be involved. And that kind of brings me back to the question, too, where I don't think any of the three running backs are clear-cut. And then one of them, even if you don't choose them to start, you could easily put in over Waddle. How are you seeing this Ravens-Browns game? Yeah, I mean, I think you described it really well, and it is tough. Because I think they're, I mean, I, I was saying I, I want Barkley in this lineup when I think through this this lineup decision, but I think there are really good arguments for Dobbins for Jekyll. One, I, I've made a lot of comments about how Dobbins looked. I think you said it really well, that it was more of a straight line speed concern because he did look shifty and a little bit bursty getting through the hole. And he doesn't need to hit for 50 yard runs necessarily if he's quick and, and small through holes and can get a series of 10 to 15 yard runs, which it looked like he was very capable of doing. It was very interesting to see that his agility seemed to be pretty strong, but he just didn't have the long speed yet, which I guess maybe is, I don't know. I don't know the physical elements, Co compensation stuff, right? Like you haven't been working out the muscles as much, but his knees seemed okay in, in that regard in terms of his cutting. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be against using him either. Another game that's going to be cold. And like you said, probably going to be somewhat run heavy. I think, you know, Cleveland might have to lean on Watson, like for the reasons you described. They might also just try to do it with Chubb, basically. I mean, you're talking about um, it's expected to be in the 30s, temperature around freezing, I think, with a little bit of wind, not really impacting the passing game type wind, but certainly impacting the feel of the game. And you get into an AFC North game with these types of teams. You get it down into like it feels like 25 degrees temperature. They're going to want to run the ball. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too, you know, pattern matching. -y, but that's sort of the way that I'm thinking of it. So I think uh, uh, both th this idea of a low scoring game where both teams are going to want to run the ball feels very accurate. And then Pacheco, for, for reasons we've talked about for a lot of weeks with the Chiefs, I mean, it's just sort of hard to, to be sitting the Chiefs lead back. He all, he certainly has like multiple touchdown upside at any point. He's going up against Houston in Houston. I mean, that's a game where they could get out ahead and give him the most carries he's had all year, frankly. I mean, he'd get a 17, 18 carry game, which he hasn't really been doing. You could see him run for 100 yards here. It wouldn't really surprise me at all, even though I haven't been his biggest supporter. 
he did have 100 yards a few weeks back in the Chargers matchup, which is a team that wants you to run against them and that are somewhat easy to run against. Had 70 yards last week in Denver. He got three pretty viable running backs for two spots and the waddle element. So we're not talking about McKinnon, who <laughs> scored multiple touchdowns last week. And the Texans aren't a terrible team in terms of rush defense on a per-play perspective, but because of game script, the upside there is so huge. I mean, they lead the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game because they're mostly getting blown out, and they're tied for fourth in terms of touchdowns allowed per game on the ground, as you mentioned. I mean, it just sets up perfectly, and especially if the Chiefs want to build a little confidence in their seventh-round rookie. And, I mean, they haven't demonstrated any real shift in the direction of some of these veterans that they're stack stashing. I mean, this is, could be a confidence game for Pacheco. If he goes out and rushes for 150 and scores three touchdowns, then, I mean, they can say we're going to build on that as we go into the reality playoffs later on. It sets up as that type of game, even though when you're splitting with a back who is more dynamic and who could score from 50 yards out and kind of wipe out some possessions, then you have that tricky element, but especially in this game in standard, you're going to lean Pacheco. Yeah, I think with the touchdown element, I mean, and when we talk about how low scoring it might be in Baltimore and some of the concerns with Dobbins generally, where especially if, if that game gets out of hand, I think you have more concern that he gets sort of limited, probably even than Barkley. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Not fair, but. They're going to be careful with Dobbins right now. They are going to be in the playoffs regardless if they start to fall behind or if they get way ahead, they might just go to Edwards a decent amount. As I'm thinking through this, Sean, I think I would probably be going Pacheco and Barkley for these two spots. I think I'd be sitting Waddle, sort of expecting that Lake Effect stuff to be serious because today, as we're going recording, I was just telling this before the show, I saw a couple tweets. Right now, what it feels like is there's definitely going to be a lot of snow in Buffalo for that game. Now, I would track it. That Buffalo game is the night game on Saturday. The Baltimore game is the middle game on Saturday, right before that. So I would be tracking Buffalo as much as I could, sort of leading into the Baltimore game. I, I'm actually kind of saying I would probably have Dobbins on the outside regardless. So maybe making the Dobbins decision first, but then making the Waddle decision. You have Pacheco and you have Barkley on Sunday. I, I think I'm. But you're kind Pacheco of saying you're you're saying you, you have Pacheco and Barkley in, and then yes. it's Dobbins versus Waddle for the flex and so that choice does come down oh, to the saturday afternoon yeah and sorry. so where where are you with waddle i've mentioned that i mean i love waddle i think he has massive upside in any individual game you can have multiple long touchdowns which in any format are instantly a game breaker I think with how he's played recently the bills obviously have to focus on tyree kill and yet what you did a nice job of explaining in our previous episode or how the teams have taken away what the Dolphins want to really do to both of these guys. Now, Hill has been able to still get his points, but to both of these guys over the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned I didn't think Waddle was healthy, but while his snaps were down in the two previous weeks, they were way back up in that loss to the Chargers. He gets open, I believe, the second play of the game and drops a contested pass over the middle. The contested catches haven't been there he had another one. I think he had two off his hands. I, I was watching. I was like, you got to catch these balls. And, and especially frustrating, too, when you've actually gotten open. I mean, the leg injury, I 
think a pretty serious injury, but once you're there and the ball's on your hands, the, the injury is not to your hands, yeah. <laughs> right? And so we want you to make the play. Where are you in terms of balancing defense, situation, Waddle's health, and, and kind of what you're seeing usage-wise? How are you feeling about that element of it for him? Well, it's, it's tough. I guess I'm afraid. And so I'm using, I'm probably using the lake effect thing a little bit too much as an excuse, right? To not have to not have to play him, not have to strongly consider him. Like in this particular question, in other spots, I'm just going to be playing him because he's the very logical option. Um, but I, I guess I'm a little bit, a little bit concerned. Part of my concern is how bad Miami looked, how they did not have answers last week, where Tua had, he was three for 17 at one point. I mean, he had three completions through like the end of the third quarter. He ended up, I think, 10 of 24 or something like that. Is that, I don't know if that's And we mentioned some of the contested non-catches, but there are also passes fluttering nowhere near receivers. And and again, you you have a relatively limited sample of these cold, weird weather games late in the season to look at. And some of it's going to end up being anecdotal and that can lead you in the wrong direction pretty quickly. But um, one of the games I always think of is back several years ago where you have the Patriots juggernaut, you have this very high-powered Arizona Cardinals team. They play a late fantasy playoff game in the snow. The Patriots take full advantage of the defense not being able to cut and put up a million points. The Cardinals look like they've never played football before. And, I mean, you have that potential for a similar dynamic here where, I mean, I've always loved Andy Dalton, but one of his problems playing in the AFC North was that, I mean, whether it's the small hands or what have you in the elements, his weaknesses were magnified. I don't know that we really know that about Tua, but if one of your weaknesses is arm strength concerns and not a lot of ball velocity, it's hard to see how weather is going to help that. Yeah. I mean, and this gets into like, it almost feels like pseudoscience. Like what are we even talking about? But you mentioned the Patriots in Arizona's thing. Part of me is also like, yeah, Arizona lives in a warm climate. I mean, I know that's not the most important thing in the world, but like they do. They live there. They're spending all their time training and practicing in warm weather. Then they have to travel up. Second, you get off the airplane, your body has to adjust. You, you know, you, you if you've ever traveled from one climate to another, you're like sore for a couple of days sometimes. I mean, obviously these are elite, well-conditioned athletes. This is not something I would put a ton of weight on. You can laugh your butt off at me as you're listening to this, and you should be. But sort of a similar dynamic with Miami traveling up to Buffalo. There's a lot of things going on that when I think through Miami, it's not really just a Jalen Waddle thing or an injury thing. It's can they address the schematic problems that they had where they only ended up with 10 completions last week after looking like such an elite offense for so long against a good defense in Buffalo in potentially weather and there's these other, you know, second layer things that might be a little bit, you got to peel back the onion and get a little bit of conspiracy hat on. But can Tua play in the cold weather like you talked about? Is Miami a warm weather team going up to Buffalo? Is that harder to do than another maybe cold weather team going to Buffalo? You know, the Patriots traveling to Buffalo. They did a great job of doing that and beating them last year in a game where they only threw three passes. Patriots a little more conditioned for that. They live up in the Northeast. You know, they're, they're used to it. Anyway, I, I, I'm... I, there's obvious reasons that they they need to address things since last week. There's obvious reasons there might be roadblocks. There's even less obvious reasons to, to potentially be concerned. It's a lot to overcome. 
I will say I wouldn't put it past Mike McDaniel, though, because I think he has been really good at game planning. It would not be that surprising that 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 more or less that they didn't have answers in-game against the Chargers, that Tua didn't really have answers, that didn't know what to do next, steps two, three, and four, when to step one is taken away, but that they spend this week addressing that and have some better answers. It didn't seem like there were major tweaks that needed to be made necessarily. It's just you got you got to have second options off of, of this play when they play inside leverage and they take this away. Got to have another, you know, another read. Got Where do we go next? And if they address that, I mean, then then you can't play inside leverage. Then you have, you know, then it might open the the middle of the field again. We talked about this in the last episode, but it, I wouldn't put it past Mike McDaniel in Miami to do it. It just feels like a lot in a short week. They're playing on Saturday. You're traveling. I, it feels like a game where Miami could end up getting blown out, even though I've been really, really optimistic about them all season. And your note about the positives there and the chance that they could make those adjustments during the week that are so difficult to make in-game, it is worth noting that the Bills have had an elite defense. They obviously bring a lot of talent to the table, but there have been injuries and a lack of continuity in the back end to where I mean, Justin Jefferson absolutely lit them up five weeks ago. Then Amari Cooper lights them up the next week. Then Amon Ross St. Brown lights them up the next week. You come back and you're better against the Patriots and the Jets, but those aren't elite passing offenses. And even last week, when you have terrible weather and everybody knows what's coming because the only option is Garrett Wilson, they still let him get away and make that a close game. I mean, Mike White was able to move the ball even as he's taking these massive hits. Now, I say move the ball in the second half. The first half was a defensive bloodbath. There are some little elements there that if the Dolphins do get it together and if the weather misses. So again, a situation you, where you want to be tracking that as you're going through your Saturday, if you have those options. I mean, it depends on just how serious it is to you. To I mean, obviously, so many of us and listeners, I mean, you've got things going on on Saturday. You may have to set your lineup. So let me put it to you so we can wrap up this listener's question. Assuming you agree with me on the Barkley and Pacheco thing, it's Dobbins, it's Waddle. You go into Saturday. Let's say we find out the weather's not going to be a major issue or also that maybe it is. Where would you be on that flex decision? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go with Dobbins, who I think has multiple touchdown upside in that game, and let the Dolphins and Waddle prove that he is healthy enough to do what he's done throughout the course of the year. I mean, I can't imagine that I'm saying that. I mean, Waddle was one of my favorite picks of the season, and through the first nine weeks, he was fantastic. I think there are a lot of things here that make this a toss-up. I would go with your stars if that's where you're leaning. But if you're 50-50 and you want to play it a little bit safer, I mean, a little bit of this too is going to depend on your matchup and what you think you need to do to win. I I should also say, I think that these are good options and I don't they think it's a bad decision. Yeah, you have Dobbins in a plus rushing matchup. You have Pacheco in a plus rushing matchup. We talked about reasons to be pretty optimistic about Barkley as well. And again, in standard, it's a little bit of a different question because those guys... Assuming they all get 10 to 15 carries minimum, basically, they're good. They have a little bit of a floor. And one of the things in standard, you know, I haven't played it in a few years, but I used to play it a lot. 80 points can win you a matchup, even a playoff matchup sometimes. The the floor element actually starts to matter a little bit. If those guys can get you at least 50, 60, 70 yards rushing because they're getting enough carries, that stacks up, that gets you 20 points out of those three spots. That can be a pretty big element. Um, when you have Chase and Jefferson and these other, you know, major pieces that 
you're also obviously hoping Jamar Chase has 150 yards and two touchdowns or Justin Jefferson does. Those are the real parts of your offense and of, of your fantasy team. I'm probably just taking the running back guaranteed yardage, rushing yardage type element. Just because, man, Miami looked so lost last week. Ten completions. And most of those came, you know, in garbage time, essentially. It wasn't ultimately garbage time because the Chargers let the Dolphins hang around a little bit. But it really was late, late in the game where they started to finally come up with some answers and get some completions. But, yeah, that's – I mean, that was a fun question. Those are a lot of fun players to think about, talk about this week, how we're approaching some of the – uh, some of the weather stuff, Sean. I know there's a couple other games that caught your eye, and I know one of them is two teams that we love. I mean, two teams that coming into the year, Sean. I know we spent a lot of time talking about uh, in preseason stealing bananas episodes as sort of teams that we didn't know if this would be their year. Maybe 2023 was their year, but we basically said have two of the most interesting young skill position groups in football. And they've both been super exciting this year, which has been really fun. It's the Lions at the Jets. They're playing each other this week. And now we have Mike White in there for the Jets. We have Jamison Williams back for the Lions. He hasn't been playing a lot. Hawkinson's gone from our preseason stuff, you know, conversations. But Amon Ra's been great. DeAndre Swift is playing again. A lot to be optimistic about with Detroit. Tons to be optimistic about with the Jets. Now they, I mean, obviously Brees Hall was a total hit, but he's been hurt. Now they have Zonovan Knight doing well. Obviously Garrett Wilson, just a, a complete stud. This is going to be a really fun game. It is. And I, I pulled up some numbers from Detroit in the team split tool. And you look at the first 10 games, point differential minus three the last three point differential plus 11 they've been running 74 plays per game over the last three which again i mean some of these things you're not going to be able to sustain they're a little bit fluky about the specific game that you were in but points for 33 points per game points per drive 3.5 3.5 points per drive jerry goff leading this team to absolute juggernaut status and I mean, for me, if he were to lead them to win out, I would be Jerry Goff MVP. I think something like comeback player of the year, probably more realistic for him to be targeting. Speaking of our our preseason discussions, I think you were talking about this as a possibility, and I, I just couldn't see it, Sean. I couldn't see it. But you get, a, you get a nice little victory lap on this one because Goff has played basically exactly how you said he would and a lot better than I thought it was possible for a – an immobile quarterback to be as productive as he has been in fantasy. He's been very, very good. And again, for the immobile element, he's been so good at both limiting sacks and limiting interceptions, which then allows them to take advantage of all of these weapons that they're developing. And they did go through that stretch where Amon Ra wasn't there and they were weaker at that juncture. But now that they've come back out of it, they, I mean, they look almost unstoppable. This is a, a Lions passing offense that's top six in expected points added per attempt, in points above average per play, and in boom percentage. And they face now the Jets pass defense that is number two in boom percentage allowed. So it's strength against strength. And I think that that part of it makes it such a compelling game from a narrative perspective, but such a compelling game too in terms of the X's and O's. What do these teams go out and do We've actually watched as the Lions have gone up against good teams previously this season where you're thinking, okay, 
I mean, they look good in some of these other matchups, but now when they face a powerhouse, they're going to get annihilated. And you think about what they did to the Bills on Thanksgiving very easily. I mean, just a tiny smidge of things go differently in that game. And the Lions win on Thanksgiving, and suddenly they're 7-6, and they look great. And we're having an even different conversation here. But this is a huge game, too, because the team that wins is going to really help themselves, especially – and the team that loses, unfortunately, is – in pretty big trouble if detroit wins 31 they go the jets dropped to 20 percent. 31 for the lions still low but i mean they started one and six you'll take that 31 at this point if new york wins they get up to 47 percent, and detroit drops to seven they're more or less out of it i mean we've got a must-win game with four weeks to go in the season we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, and the Lions are going to go on after this game to play at Carolina. That's not a – Carolina's been playing a little bit better. That's maybe not a, a, a certain win, but at Carolina, and then they get the Bears at home. And, again, Bears have been playing good football. Took them right down to the wire um, in Chicago just a few weeks back. But, I mean, this is the game. again. The Jets are better than those teams. The Jets have a really good defense. They're playing good football. If you can beat the Jets, though – that Carolina, Chicago, and then they get at Lambeau at Green Bay to close it, which we're kind of loosely expecting will be a Jordan Love game. So, I mean, the, the Lions have paths to winning out here and going 10-7. and seven. This, I think, is the hardest game for them right now as it stands. I mean, sort of loosely expecting Aaron Rodgers not to be playing in Week 18. 
And I'm not sure if it really matters if he was playing or not, whether or not that would make the Packers a tougher matchup than this week's matchup with the Jets. But, I mean, how is Goff going to look in this game? Because the Jets' defense is good. They have, uh, you know, some young secondary pieces. Obviously, Sauce Gardner. Who might be an even bigger hit than Brees Hall and, and Garrett Wilson. Right. Arguably the best cornerback in football from, you know, opinions that are not really my own. People who are smarter than me watching – defensive backs, but uh, as a rookie to be that good. And, and we know sort of every year, we know that quarterback plays volatile year to year. I get asked about this every year. I got asked a couple times this year. My take on it is quarterback volatile year to year, but in season starts to get pretty predictable. I think there's been evidence to show that. And typically we have one or two pop up that are just elite and they played at an elite level. Darrell Revis, you go back to him. Jalen Ramsey's had those seasons. There's been several more and you kind of just don't want to be having the player in that matchup for fantasy number one. Um, but also you have to recognize how good that can make a defense because you can then not have to put safety help over. It makes the whole pass defense so much better to have an elite quarterback playing at a really high level. Jets seem to have that right now. And that shows up in the stats too, where the Jets are tied for second best overall in terms of yards per cover snap, our passing matchup rating tool, which takes a variety of things into account in terms of how a team is covering and sort of trends in terms of specific likely coverage matchups. They have Amon Ross St. Brown down as the number 99 wide receiver slash tight end for this week. And uh, however the Jets decide to play him, that battle and the overall kind of tactical battle between the Lions and the Jets with all the things that Amon Ra can do. And then we saw the broken coverage last week where Jamison Williams uses his speed to get by the defense. We saw DJ Chark actually come out and he was somebody who was at the very top last week's top five wide receiver in terms of the passing matchup Raider. And, and he has a big game. Josh Reynolds has still been very involved. So even though Williams is actually not playing a ton of snaps, as you pointed out, there, these other guys have been very successful with it. DeAndre Swift, a disappointing game from a fantasy perspective last week, but they're using him as the passing down back. And if you talk about a guy who's kind of a passing down back, but also a superstar, when I mean, you think about what he's doing when he gets into the secondary there and what a weapon a player of that caliber gives you when he's facing guys in the open field. Amon Ross, somebody who is going to be on a ton of playoff rosters, even with the midseason injuries. We talked a lot about how you had that eight-game stretch between the end of last season and the beginning of the season where he was over 30% target share every single time. He had the injuries. He's been back the last five weeks. His average back over 30%, so 32% targets, and a 22.6 point per game in PPR over that stretch. The Lions, I mean, they still have Jared Goff. But, I mean, they might – it just seems so weird to actually say this phrase, but the Lions might be uniquely positioned to actually attack or counterattack a lot of things the Jets are going to do. That's interesting. I, I was going to – I want to hear your thoughts on that. Amon Ra obviously plays a lot of slot. He plays out, out wide a little bit. We just got them talking about how good Sauce Gardner is. It is worth pointing out Sauce Gardner doesn't typically play in the slot. The guy who does, Michael Carter, for those who don't know the Jets have a Michael Carter on both sides of the ball. Uh, he's playing incredibly well as well. And he's the other guy that gets a lot of accolades for the Jets. So they have a really good slot cornerback as well. But that might actually be the matchup, the way that the Lions already tend to lean toward their slot receiver. You're also throwing away from Sauce Gardner. 
that might be the matchup that golf wants to go to. So the matchup Raider is showing Almond looking bad. I, I kind of wonder if he's good enough to beat that matchup. And, and also knowing that there's an even worse matchup almost on the outside for some of the other receivers and the Lions being a team that tend to throw to the slot anyway so much. I kind of like Almond Ra in that regard. If they take him away too, if Michael Carter can take away Almond Ra, then it gets real dangerous for Detroit. So what, what were you thinking when you were saying? Well, a part of it is is when you have a variety of options, you're using them all, even with the very high target share for Amon Ra. We've seen Goff be effective to his secondary receivers. And the case with Amon Ra there, the unbelievable lateral agility and route running, a little bit like we talked about at the beginning of the show with Nick Chubb. Yes, it affects the range of outcomes for a star, when they face other stars, but you don't necessarily go away from them. On the other side of the ball, it's going to be pretty interesting too, because you have Garrett Wilson, who is our guy and now is ready to, I think, absolutely blow up. Then over the last three, he's at 21.5 points per game, fifth in air yards, first in yards after the catch. You talk a lot and have been sort of the premier acolyte for A.J. Brown over the course of his career, explaining how his dominance before and after the catch to earn the target to catch the target and then to dominate after you've got the ball in your hands all of those things individually important and if you are great at all of them it adds up to being a superstar the lions could really amplify this for him their third worst in yards per cover snap his projection in the game level similarity projections this week 16.8 right and so this is back to the full ppr but you're talking about Gillespie liking him as wide receiver 11. I mean, you and I like him as wide receiver 11 always, but I mean, the computers are starting to catch up. Yeah, but I think the computer is still, still feeling a little low. As you pointed out, Detroit is a matchup that is going to accentuate this. I mean, the Buffalo game last week was interesting because Buffalo is a tough matchup. The weather plays a big role. Um, I, I thought there was, you know, more underneath passing as a result, more dump offs to Tyler Conklin. He ends up getting like eight targets in this game. Elijah Morgan's 10 targets, lower a dot the week prior against Minnesota. We saw a 15 target Garrett Wilson game. He gets missed late on what could have been a, another like 60 yard TD he still has 162 yards. And, and you know, you could have had a, a 200 yard game essentially. But just a clear wide receiver one game where he gets the 15 targets. The week prior to that in Chicago, he had eight targets. goes five for 95, the two touchdowns. He had the long TD in that game. Eight targets, not, not nearly as high as 15, obviously. But interestingly, his target share was through the roof that week when he only had the eight. Nobody else had more than three targets on the whole team. Again, very clear wide receiver one type game for him. He didn't really have that last week in Buffalo in the weather but, I mean, you talked about that last five-week stretch. You can, I mean, kind of depends, whatever, wherever you want to cut it off. You can go all the way. Week two, he had 14 targets. Week three, he had 11 targets. He's been a star all year, right? But I think what we've seen over the last month or so, that those numbers you were, you were discussing, is that when the Jets can throw and, and are facing a poor defense, they know who their best receiver is. They, they know he's the superstar. Mike White knows. I mean, he's... He's got to blow up in this game. He's going to have a 20-point game. He does have to. I'm, that game should just be fireworks and fun all the way through. Then we have another game here that has big playoff implications on the AFC side 
And I think especially interesting after the Chargers looked so good last week against the Dolphins, they need to keep winning. If they can beat the Titans, their playoff odds go to 74%. If they lose, they drop to 30%. This is another game too, where the tendencies of the different teams define a lot of matchups and give us a lot of information about how it will work out. And for, for all of us Gerald Everett fans out there, it's fun to see him as the top tight end in the passing matchup Raider. Keenan Allen, the number two overall wide receiver. Tennessee has not been great recently in the pass game. They're tied for sixth worst in yards per cover snap overall. But recently, they've been shredded by Christian Watson, T. Higgins, A.J. Brown, Zay Jones, four massive blowups in consecutive weeks. I mean, this is your Justin Herbert game where he actually throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns. And the Titans, kind of like we talked about in the last show, are going to try and balance that by rushing Derrick Henry, which doesn't score points nearly as quickly. But the Chargers have the fourth worst run defense in EPA per play in war. They're the sixth worst in terms of giving up evasion rate. So it's not just that they ask teams to run. They don't stop the run very well, which, I mean, those things do have some links. Gillespie has Derrick Henry with the fourth best running back projection this week. Probably not a huge surprise that Henry projects well in a plus matchup. How do you see this one playing out? I mean, can can the Titans come back after their GM is fired and they get humiliated by the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, I think... They're going to try through Henry, like you said. I mean, Traylon Burks, as of the recording here, has not cleared the concussion protocol. We talked on the last show about how this offense doesn't have any other receiving weapons, really. Um, Chiga Conquo is, you know, the closest thing and, and has done some nice things. But interesting, Derrick Henry pops up on the injury report this week. It was listed as not injury-related rest. He doesn't practice on Wednesday. I mean, I think they're just getting him ready for a monster workload, right? Like, they're like, we're, we're not even going to practice you this week. We're not even going to make you do anything. You're going to run 29 times on Sunday. It's a tough one. I, I think the Titans are in a tough spot right now. I think I would lean towards the Chargers. But it's one of those things where I think it comes so, so like, like so many of the Titans games, it comes down to how efficient is Derrick Henry because sometimes he can just run so well that it, you know, they can essentially win despite playing a, a more old school style that doesn't necessarily fit what seems to win in the modern NFL, right? Like we, they've been a conundrum for uh, a lot of pickers for a long time. I don't like to pick against Tennessee at games where I expect Derrick Henry to get 25 carries because he could just run for 220 yards and they can win the game that way pretty easily. The Chargers, not a great football team. This is another, I mean, we've been talking about the playoff implications. Just massive, massive game. They're both seven and six. The Titans in right now, the Chargers out. Titans are going to probably go on to win their division regardless, but the Chargers tied with the Patriots right now for the final playoff spot, tied with the Jets. Lot to play for for both of these teams. If the Titans continue to lose, they might not win the division. I mean, Jackson was only two games behind. It would be an epic collapse, but wouldn't be, you know, completely insane. 
They did lose to Jacksonville this week, and they get them again in week 18. So Jacksonville basically needs to make up one game, and then that would be a win and in situation because Jacksonville would then have the two two head-to-head wins and the tiebreaker. So Tennessee's got to win. And it's interesting because their playoff odds only dropped to 82% if they lose, but I'm with you. I think that overstates their chances. They're a team in turmoil. They need to get a W. That should be a fun one. I, I love the contrast of styles. I'm hoping that we do see the Chargers light it up. Then you have an Austin Eckler team in the FFPC shootout. So you have some Eckler points on the line. I don't. The Titans, obviously much, much tougher against those running backs, but Eckler, a unique back in that so much of his scoring comes through the air. But that's going to mostly wrap us up here, but there are a few other interesting matchups on the week. You have Las Vegas having crushed so much of their hopes for the season with that meltdown against the Rams. They have this game with so many narratives against the New England Patriots who did what they needed to do to beat a collapsing Arizona Cardinals team. We have that big Giants-Washington matchup that we talked about. We have the Cincinnati Bengals facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) The, uh, The NFC South right now, a pretty hilarious division and the models actually like the Carolina Panthers chances uh, better than you would think for a team that has Sam Darnold at the quarterback position. If they won the division, Oh my God, the Panthers. I mean, we knew, we knew Tampa was struggling and then it was, well, maybe Atlanta's there. I mean, I've never got the same type. I've always thought they were a pretty poor team. I remember a few weeks back getting asked, uh, by a stealing line subscriber about potentially taking a long shot bet on the, on the Saints to win the division. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can see Tampa falling. I don't know that I like the Saints the most to, to go win that division. I think it would be the Falcons. But they were obviously there as well. You could make a good case. I mean, it's just it, if the Panthers somehow rise above all of that, the Panthers, they, for large stretches of the season, look like the worst team in football. And they are one game out. And you're talking about the models like them and probably aren't wrong to like them a little bit. Yeah, it's just absolutely crazy when you look at this. If the Bengals win, they get up to a 49% chance to win the division. Again, it it seems so obvious that the Bengals are the power team there, but their schedule with Tampa Bay, New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore to finish is so, so difficult. They need to win all of those games, and especially a game like this with a team such as the Buccaneers, who just flat out embarrassed again last week against the San Francisco 49ers. If the Buccaneers lose, I mean, the Panthers are a 37% chance to win the division. And I mean, all of those go back to if only the NFL was slightly easier on the guys who make a great play and they make the extra point, all of those types of things. But I'll be rooting for the Panthers. I'll be rooting for the Bengals. So many great stories this week. We hope that everyone makes it through. Hopefully your start set decisions are either interesting, easy, or feature so many good players that they are win-win. Then I had a fun time talking through that because it gives us a way to take a deep dive into some of these games. We have Thursday night game, 
Saturday games, Sunday games, the race is on for the FFPC million dollars. It's very I'm excited exciting. for our team in it, but it does have Tyree Kill, so don't snow. Yeah, don't snow. Keep an eye on the weather uh, in all of these games. But yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend, a fun few weeks as we figure out who's going to win uh, all these fantasy leagues, all the money. So again, big thanks to the Ceiling Bananas community. We love you guys. We're rooting for you. That'll do it for today's episode. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. They're doing all kinds of cool stuff over there with Stealing Lines. You get some great betting options on these games as you root for your reality teams and, and try to work through all these different scenarios. I mentioned the Underdog Gauntlet Contest. That one is a lot of fun if you're already looking forward. And as you get into the sort of round six through 10 in the gauntlet, you have to start to take some players from teams who might not make the playoffs. So your bets, your feelings, your projections for which teams are going to emerge over the next couple of weeks, give you some opportunity to get some value picks there, a fun contest to play. We'd love to have all of you guys over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RV Radio. 2022 at checkout to get 25% off a one month subscription. If you have Nursing trying that out and playing with some of the tools that I mentioned on the show today, leave us a rating and review, subscribe to the feed, drop us a rating on YouTube. All those things help us. Good luck in week 15. Take those matches. Talk to you soon.